0: Welcome to Farming Eternal, an eternal podcast for farmers hosted by me, Patrick Rapatomaro, and Hats on Lamps. It's episode 51. For those of you tuning in for the first time, we are a draft-focused podcast. Our goal is to help you and me, mostly me, get better at draft. We get into the nitty-gritty of the drafting process with a little meta-analysis and play tips thrown in. This week, we're going to talk about how our draft week went, thank our patrons, a few other announcements, card of the week, 7-1 run breakdown, our main topic, is we're going to be discussing Cassandra's draft primer, as well as looking over a draft. And who better to talk about Cassandra's draft primer than Cassandra himself? So welcome back to the show, Cassandra.
1: Hey, thank you so much for inviting me.
0: Yeah, no, this is we're really looking forward to this. And uh, you too, Hats. Hey, how's it going? So Hats, how was your draft week? My draft week is pretty good. I haven't been
2: playing a lot, but I've been having fun with the format. As I probably mentioned last time, I was in contention to uh, end the month at rank one, and I did get there. So that's the first time I've ended the month with, with rank one. So now that I have that arbitrary achievement under my belt, I can slack off for the rest of my life. Um, I'm doing a lot of chat drafts on my stream. <laughs> so just letting other people steer the ship more often, uh, which is a lot of fun, chat uh, Likes to fixate on on certain cards, hammer, hand, or whatever that we get as our first <laughs> pick, and then try to make the draft work around that. And that's that's a good time. <laughs> um, and, uh, and we still, I'm still generally doing pretty well. I know a lot of people are struggling with this draft format, but it's treating me okay. And uh, so
0: I'm pretty happy with it. How was your draft week? Mine was okay. I had, it was kind of up and down again. I, I felt like I, I had this period of where I was drafting pretty good decks. And then in about half my games, they would crush it. And then half the games, I would just like draw the wrong half of it. And I kept experiencing that over and over again, which was a little bit frustrating. But I'm just sort of chalking it up to variance because I feel like I keep coming out with pretty good decks. The other weird thing that seems to be happening with me is I feel like I keep drafting this like the same deck over and over again in pockets where... I'll draft like the t p the t j p relic deck like three or four drafts in a row and then it'll <laughs> i'll draft the sacrifice deck three or four drafts in a row and so I'm not sure what that's about whether that's like me just fixating on certain like cards that I'm liking at the time or whether that's I'm um, following the signals and actually ending up in these decks I don't know. Maybe a little bit of both. I certainly go through periods where it
2: feels like my internal like rankings or feelings about cards kind of shift, and then I end up in those pockets that way. Uh, but also, it does seem sometimes like uh, just everyone sort of collectively decides they don't want to draft Shadow anymore for a while, you know, and so then you end up in decks with Shadow. That seems to happen all the time too. So uh, it, it 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 turns into these trends. Yeah.
0: How about you, Cass?
1: Uh, it's been going pretty good. Uh, let me start by apologizing about the hammer hand hype. Um, I uh, may, sure, may sure. not have a small hand on that. Um, <laughs> but uh, the the goblin drafts, as long as I was avoiding those, they've been going well. Um, goblin drafts were terrible. Um, so far, <laughs> so they kind of they did a great job pushing my rank down and making it harder to reach masters this month. But that's uh, Do you want that's to
0: explain a... what a goblin draft is. For yeah,
1: I, of course. That's why I was um. But anyways, it's a it's a fun event that a bunch of the streamers are doing, um, sponsored by K-Stolen, a really fantastic member of the community. Um, he wanted to bring some of the draft streamers that he enjoys watching on a regular basis into an area to do what's called a Goblin Draft. Um, so we, we open up a pack, and you must pick things in the following order before you can pick cards that you want. Um, so if you see a shiny card, you must take the shiny card over anything else, um, followed by Legends and Rares. And then you can pick whatever you want. Um, but at the end of the draft, there's also a stipulation on how you play the games. Um, you have to play every shiny card that you pick, so you might end up with like a like a two color deck splashing a third color for like a quadruple fire shiny hammerhand. Um, it just it just might work out that way. Uh, and you also must play all of the rares except for two of them. So like it's a really interesting and fun event that we're doing for for some enjoyment. So it's it's been pretty silly. Otherwise with normal drafting um I found myself like you were even saying that there's like waves of decks and card evaluations I find that extraordinarily true and this is going to kind of fall into like our our cards our card of the week or um but uh I find myself falling into like the Skycrag style decks right now splashing either shadow or time with some of the spell damage support and the dragons right now um I've just been having so much fun with that deck that I often like kind of like glaze my eyes over at all the other cards and be like oh boy ruinous burst um (laughs) we don't we don't need this rectifier ruinous burst looks beautiful but um that's obviously it just comes down to like you know it could be down to enjoyment or what you rank during this current time so um overall it's been really fun though
0: so moving on to announcements, once again, as always in this section, we like to thank our patrons, everyone out there who's supporting the show financially, we really appreciate it. This week, we have a new patron, Michael S. signed up, so thank you, Michael, as well as our veteran patrons, Avid Nago, Clinical Cynic, Meagles, Madness, Big Salty, Titus and Blossom, Parmalee, Darth Herman II, Twin Hex, Cassandreth, Jed the Homerid. Raven Dragon, Essert 0215, Sunblaze, Worked on Sun, and Yistau. Um, and so for those of you who are not a patron yet, um, for as little as a dollar a month, you get access to our show notes, recording bloopers on our Discord, as well as nudge us towards our Patreon goals. Right now, we, we hit, um, as you might know if you listened to last episode, we did hit our live show episode. So the next one is a raffling off of a coaching session with hats. Um, which he hopefully hasn't forgotten about. No, then oh, you remind other... me every week. <laughs> <laughs> and then the other thing is we are started our sign-up for the March Discord tournament. Uh, this month we're doing a sealed deck. So, of course, in Eternal you still can't challenge each other with 45-card decks, so we're doing a 75-card sealed deck. So if you sign up, I'll send you a pool of 120 cards, and they're going to be made up of six echoes of eternity packs as well as four draft packs so 10 packs in total and you'll make us a, a deck out of that and we'll do a round robin tournament so we have a, a few people signed up right now and we want some more and uh, if you win you get your name in a shiny red color on the discord for a month so yeah that's it for announcements and we'll move on to card of the week so Cassandra, what's your card of the week
1: so my card of the week is kind of like a, a branching path of cards. So let me let me start with um, the, the the card that I wanted to talk about was Spellstorm Stranger, which kind of leans into like my whole my little draft theory of the week. Um, when I originally saw this card, I thought of it as kind of like a, a pretty pretty poorly costed, poorly statted unit. It's like it kind of doesn't feel like it does much. Um, but then after playing it a couple of times, I was like, wow, this card's actually Pretty, pretty great in the right deck. The right can deck you, is.
2: Uh, can you describe the card uh, to
0: the listener oh, might not? Oh yeah, of course. Uh, so, spellstorm it?
1: stranger is a primal cost, a primal one primal three cost one four unit that says whenever a stranger you control attacks, um, your spells deal one damage until the beginning of your next turn. So that's that's a really important piece of text too. Um, so it'll. It allows you to, one, play pretty good defense against a lot of the twos and the three drops in the format, while also allowing you to take really great advantage of cards like Ruinous Burst and Reverberating Strike for really good amounts of card advantage, to be honest. Um, Ruinous Burst is a card that's kind of mediocre. Like it, it can do some cool things, but if if I said that Ruinous Burst was Char times 2 you'd probably be a much happier person. Um, and that's kind of what the, that stranger does. It allows you to play ruinous burst as a char times two, and then suddenly you're like, "Wow, this card's great!" So that's that's what I've been uh, really excited about this week.
0: Yeah, that's that's kind of interesting because I have not really played this deck. I've been, I didn't even play it very much in the last format. I was kind of scared away on how hard it was to get into. But I will say, you do see a lot of spellstorm strangers late. <laughs> In this, in this draft format. It, it's not hard to find them. <laughs> and one of the sort of appeal, uh, intriguing things about Spellstorm Stranger to me is the fact that it's like one of these few strangers where you're very likely to not be helping your opponent with it.
1: Yes, this is also a very strong case for that.
0: Um, so I think that's kind of cool. Like I said, I haven't drafted it yet, but it might be something that yeah, I'd like to look into. So, what are what other cards are you really looking for? Like, what so, cards make you feel like you have a good?
1: So, what I would what I would bring up first is you want to make sure you have the spells before you look for the spell storms, um, because as you mentioned, spell storms are abundant and everywhere. It's not hard to find them. Um, but what you do want to have is if you can get like maybe like four to five cards that deal damage, um, mainly being ruinous burst and reverberating strike. Then I would look for like picking up spell storms. And if I get a like a critical mass, like if I get like more than four or five spell damage cards, um, like spells that actually deal damage, then I'm like, oh, this this dragon that buffs spell damage suddenly is really good. Oh, there's a two-one Yeti that deals extra spell damage. Suddenly, like all of these cards are in the packs right now. We should we should just keep scooping up more of these. And then eventually you're like, wow, I'm playing Skycrag spells. <laughs>
2: And a big part of this is that Ruinous Burst and Reverberating Strike are fast spells, right? Because you've got yes. the uh, because Spellstorm Stranger has to attack into your opponent's army in order to get the damage potential, which yep. means that you need something that can affect that combat step.
1: Yes, even then, Spellstorm Stranger usually is like uh, I'm a one four. I can attack into like an earlier board state, and then a Ruinous Burst can kind of like. Leverage the post combat, or leverage at at the end of your opponent's turn to kind of ping off some stuff and make combat really awkward. So that that's another nice thing about it. Stat line is it? You don't even need a trick, and you can just be like, "I'm just going to attack with this into your two, three, and let nothing mm-hmm. happen." Yeah. So it's really nice.
0: Cool. Yeah. So ha- where does the vestige fit in? Is that do you consider that is that good in this deck, or is the fact? that it needs a dragon to limiting
1: vestige fits in a really great spot and it's called the pool um mm-hmm. <laughs> no but uh it, if you have like a really high dragon count i tried it out and i wasn't super impressed with it um most of the time i was happier with like crones or other cards that have real impact on the board without needing other cards to make it happen
2: mm-hmm My best uh, spell damage deck in this format did have a lot of dragons, and I had uh, drafted two Age Worn Vestiges, and I I had so many dragons, and it seemed so good, but I still cut one, and it was the correct decision. (laughs) Yeah.
0: (laughs) All right, so then Hats, what is your card this week?
2: My card this week is Blade Crafter. I know we've talked about Blade Crafter a few times before, um, but I wanted to talk about it again. Uh, it's just an exciting card to talk about. Uh, there's not, not really ever been anything like it in an Eternal Limited format, as far as I know, at least not at common. Uh, Blade Crafter is uh, a 4-fire-fire fire, uh, unit with uh, 2 attack and 2 health, uh, and a, a summon ability uh, that lets you pick a weapon out of your deck and draw it. And then uh, it has Corrupted Six, which means after it dies, it leaves behind a 0-2 Shade uh, that can pay six to sacrifice itself and get another weapon out of your deck. Uh, So what makes it unusual... So it's it's kind of the heart of the uh, creation Relic Weapon deck uh, in this format, which is one of the archetypes that's really, really well supported. The Time, Justice, Fire... uh, deck with a focus on relics and uh, recurring relics from your void. Um, The fact that there's a common that can get the relic weapon of your choice from your deck means you're playing an entirely different game than your opponent is playing because you can really plan ahead um, a a lot more. You You can plan ahead so many turns if you have a blade crafter in your hand and you know you have a game ending relic weapon in your deck. Uh, the two big ones probably are Shugo's hooked sword, the seven five for seven that makes uh, that makes two two oni grunts every time you uh, you do damage, and also the edge of prophecy, which is the uh, the the sword that starts as a six six and then every time you recur it from the void and summon it again, it doubles in attack and defense, and uh, having a Having Just if you get one of those, then every Bladecrafter you pick up after that is another copy of the very best card in your deck, which is kind of a ridiculous thing. And I don't think there's ever been a comparable card in any other limited format that did something like that, that just straight up got your best card out of your deck when you needed it. Uh, Bladecrafter is so powerful that you don't need to play very many of them. Uh, I've had a deck that was jam-packed with great weapons, you know, uh, uh, Valkyrie Wings. Shugo's Hooked Sword, like Morning Star. Um, uh, what, what's the one, the 6-3 with Overwhelm. Anything you could possibly want, all really good to get with Blade Crafter. Still, two Blade Crafters was on the verge of being too much, because all you need to do is tutor up your best weapon once in a game, and you're probably going to win it. Um, and when you are ahead with the creation deck, you feel so far ahead, because you know you've got another edge of prophecy coming up to wipe your opponent's entire board again after they rebuilt the last time that thing came out. Um, it's a, it's an interesting card. It's one of the cards in this format that is very, 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 very strong. If you have cards that work with it, but you still don't want to play that many copies in your deck, which is, uh, unusual. Like, I don't think there was anything like that in set seven, the good cards, you would just jam as many of them into your deck as you wanted. You could play six road strangers. It was just a good card. And, uh, in this, there's a lot more cards like this, like uh, Siege Provisions, Blade Crafter, uh, those kind of cards. I, there's probably other good examples where they're just real good, but you don't want to play a ton of them. And I kind of dig that. I think it makes the format interesting to draft.
1: Yeah, I think that that speaks like volumes for like the, the what you can do and have the depth of a format is when there are cards that are so powerful only in a certain deck. Yeah, like you're you're like, this is so fantastic. This does such an amazing effect. But I really don't want this unless I'm in this deck. And and that it does so many good things, in my opinion, that, that really it just speaks so much about how a format can be good and have powerful cards, but not cards like like a certain Grodas favored.
2: Yeah. And Ruinous Burst is a good example of that too, because it's not a great card in uh, in, in without spell damage, but it's a fantastic card with spell damage. Uh, so it really, it, it lets drafters with different styles coexist happily instead of all fighting over the same resources in every draft.
1: Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And and uh, you were saying your, your Blade Crafter, another beautiful little tiny innuendo on the end of it is it is an Oni and it there's, is. there's this, there's this fantastic Rakano Oni that's still in the set mm-hmm. called Artisan and yep. It actually turns up more often than not where you make three twos instead with yeah. your hooked swords and your blade and your uh, your blade crafters. Yeah,
2: that's a big difference. And I have had that deck and it was it was a lot of fun. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> you get your two Rick uh, artisans, whatever is enough. Uh, and then also uh, the Skyblade Storyteller, the two, three with Warcry that uh, that can put a sort of the Sky King in your deck. That's an Oni two. Yeah, <laughs> uh, just a lot of little incidental Onis It's really hard to draft the oni deck, but there's enough of them kicking around that suddenly you find yourself playing them, uh, and it's it's a fun little niche that you can get into. And then Blade Crafter is also playable in the in the sacrifice deck because it does have corrupted, so you can sacrifice it twice. It generates a lot of value there.
0: Mm-hmm. Just a fun card. Yeah. So what what's your uh, what's your card of the week for tomorrow? Uh, my card is Bottled Storm. Which is the three primal relic uh, that says it's pay three to deal one damage, and then on your third um, third use, it, it, you sacrifice it and draw um, draw three cards, right? And you draw three cards, and or if it's sacrificed before, then on your turn, you get also draw three cards. Um, and this is a card that. I feel like people talk positively about, and I have not been super impressed with it in my decks. And uh-huh. <laughs> so, you're
2: th- so you're saying that this is another card of the week that you
0: don't like. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, well, you guys are so positive about your cards. That's fair. <laughs> no, I see. I like to use these cards of the week to highlight cards that I feel like I just don't understand quite, mm-hmm. quite because people like this card and it really like for me in a lot of games I was like oh wait I can't wait to get the six power so I can kill their stranger hopefully uh-huh. yeah and do nothing else <laughs> in my turn <laughs> sure. and it felt like what if you have like a shard binder out you know it becomes like a very good card but at its base rate I just felt like it was never doing enough it just like costs too much to deal one damage. And obviously when I did like the games where I had enough time to draw three cards, I felt like I was I was already ahead enough that 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 almost didn't matter. It was like the the problem is it's like when you're winning, you have enough time to spend 12 power to draw three cards. But when you're losing, it's just like hopefully it's like triggering your book club yeti. Cause that's all it's really doing. Cause you don't have enough time to like, <laughs> to ping people off
1: with that much power usage. Yeah. So what am I looking at this card? Right, so one of the things that I think Bottled Storm has power with, obviously Shardbinder. Um, Shardbinder makes the card absolutely fantastic. Um, another area is there are some high impact one health units that people are like, people can no longer even put into play because you're just like, all right, I'm gonna spend. You know, I'm gonna spend negative a negative one card to kill it. Um, some of the more impactful ones are like Covetous Stranger, um, the two-one Fire Stranger that says whenever one or more stra- one or more strangers attacks, you create and draw a Treasure Trove. Um, that is a very good card. Kindling Carver. We, we know how how wonderful Mister Carver is to sack units and draw cards. Um, both of those are very impactful in just the fire, in um, just fire. Um, You have Burning Cordrake, the 3-1 Flying Reckless for three. All of these very powerful and somewhat sometimes difficult to deal with cards um, that you can't handle in combat can suddenly be managed or to a point where they're like, I can't even play this right now because they have a free way to deal with it. Um, Our wonderful Shardbinder is also a one health unit. And we even say Shardbinder makes a lot of cards really good um, so there's another one rectifier we we also know how how powerful rectifier can be um humbug nest like all of these like innocuous reasonable things are suddenly like wow suddenly this this bottled storm is just kind of hanging out in play for for the mid to late game where they where they can just kind of sit on it and generate like a mana sink if they if it gets to that far but it's also just preventing your opponent from like, Playing their their potentially fragile threat. That's what I really like about the card. Um, I like the value that that brings.
2: Yeah, that's uh, that's how I look at the card too. It it has a chilling effect on the game, uh, and that if your deck is kind of in the market for that, uh, then that's uh, then it's a good card. It it it's. Uh, it's phrased in a similar way to Waystone Gate, the time card that uh, that that gets sigils out of your deck and then makes an eight-eight giant. But I don't think it's on the same power level because that card fuels itself by getting the sigils that you need to play uh, to pay power for it and then makes a giant. Um, it it so it, it uh, it's not it's not on the same power level. But I think and and I think it serves a a, a totally different function. So I don't know why now that I brought up Waystone Gate, except that they <laughs> cost the same
0: and have a similar effect. Uh, well, no, I think, yeah. yeah. think Waystone Gate's good to bring up, because I think maybe part of my problem is viewing them as similar cards, while well, like Waystone Gate is a card that you're kind of trying to trigger as fast as possible, mm-hmm. and maybe that's part of my issue with Bottled Storm, is I'm not really viewing it as As just, like, a way to do, I don't know, I guess even when I play um, Bottled Storm, I'm always just, like, trying to trigger it to get my three cards instead of, like, letting it sit back and be a chilling effect. I'm kind of like, well, I guess I'm just going to have to ping face twice because they don't have any units and I always like having more cards. And then... Mm -hmm.
2: I think the other thing is that it's sometimes uh, hard to tell how much of an effect Bottled Storm is having on the game because you don't know what your opponent is avoiding playing uh, due to the fact that Bottled Storm is in play. So it's a hard card to evaluate uh, just because of that, because you have it in play sometimes, and it's having
1: a larger effect on the game than is obvious. Mm -hmm. Yeah, your opponent may just be holding, like, three or four unknowns in their hand, and maybe they have, like, you know two of those cards are like, I have X1 creatures. I can't even play them until this bottle storm goes away. Yeah, Uh, It also works really well, like, let's say both of you have, like, a 2-3 creature in play. I can attack you with my 2-3 now, because if you block, I'm gonna kill your guy. So it it makes combat math really funky, and you don't actually need to have a trick, because your trick is sitting in play, threatening to kill their unit.
2: Yeah, Mm -hmm. you have this virtual value all the time. Um, There's a there used to be a card um, in Magic the Gathering, uh, there, there were a few cards like this, uh, but there was one, it was called Direwolf, I think, it was a 2-2 two, two for 2, and it had an ability where if you spent 3, you could turn it into a 4-4, four, four. Um, and normally you never activated that ability. You would just attack, and because it could be a 4-4, four, four, your opponent had to, uh, had to block poorly, or just let the thing through. Um, but uh, because they didn't want to lose a card to, to this giant monster. And then uh, what that meant is that you would have three mana left after you attacked with a direwolf to do something else. That's a little bit like what Bottled Storm's effect on combat is. You attack, you don't need to use it, just the threat of you using it makes your opponent have to make bad decisions in combat.
0: Mm-hmm. But see, what I like about cards like that is you're able to use that like a a pumping card like that very aggressively. So like the threat of activation really goes towards your game plan of like winning the game. But like, Mm -hmm. even in, in Cass's example of like you you have, there's two, two threes on the board and you're able to attack in. Um, And they can't block because of threat of activation. But like, unless you specifically have a card to block in your hand that you can then play when you don't use your bottled storm, like, they're just cracking you back, and you're playing the kind of deck that plays three-powered do-nothing relics. And so, like... Well, maybe yeah. maybe
2: you don't have any more, though. Like, you're not playing the kind of deck that plays a bunch of do-nothing relics. You're playing a deck that functions normally and also a bottled storm for, for more value mm-hmm. in the long term.
1: Yeah, and, and let's say... Maybe you're in a situation where you want to attack or maybe, maybe you just don't want to attack right now because you don't have a follow-up, but even then, you get to push damage, maybe you're going to trade a little bit, but you have that follow-up if they don't block. And then yeah. if they do block, you just like, all right, well, let's finish this off. Um, yeah. Maybe maybe you don't have great follow-ups, but I would say that a lot of decks that, you know, that do, like on turn three where you're attacking with a dude and you have four power-up or something like that, you're probably going to have something on curve to at least deploy afterwards. Um, you're... Yeah. I, I feel like a really great way of, of winning a game is give your opponent as many opportunities to make a mistake as possible. So that's... And, and it usually can come out fairly well against a lot of areas.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: All right. Well, so that's... Uh, I keep putting in my deck and I keep not being
0: happy with it. But I guess I'll I'll keep doing it. <laughs> Just keep doing exactly what you're doing. Keep putting it in <laughs> your deck. Keep being
2: disappointed. <laughs>
0: Because obviously uh, some very good some very good drafters really like the card, so I'm, <laughs> I'm sure I'm the wrong one here, but... <laughs> so now on to our 7-win run breakdown. This is our long-standing data collection project where people send in their 7-win drafts either to farmingeternal at gmail.com or post them to the 7-win channel in Discord. Uh, we accept them as either exported deck lists or any, time, any kind of Eternal Warcry link, then we Take this information, kind of break it down. We have a couple spreadsheets that anyone has access to um, where you can look at like what factions are doing well. We still have not finished our card-by-card breakdown, but you can see what factions have been overperforming in this format. And as always, we like to read everyone who's the names of everyone who sent in lists this week, as well as thanking John Holio for actually entering all the lists in. So our new contributors this week are. Doombot Mecca and Sir Dragos, as well as our veteran contributors of A Boss, Avgots, Celtic Guardian Seven, Clinical Cynic, Collector, Commander Salamander, Gato Sujo, Grand Masterson, Hats on Lamps, I Just Work Here, Cassendreth, Kidlit 1490, Kid Sneelock, King Neb, Mancio 1982, Mercurio Blue, MLNTN, Mr. Jones5877, Nothership, ship. Patomaro. Raven Dragon, Sleffer13, SunBlaze, Surf Wizard, Titus and Blossom, Twin Hex, and Vader. So, thank you all again for sen- taking the time to send in some deck lists. So, uh, just a few quick hits this week. Um, time has gone down from being 80% of our, of our deck list meta to 75% now. So Ooh, it's, what a hit. yeah, it is still crushing cause the next highest one is Justice at 45%. Okay. So it, this is still, our deck lists are quite the um, time dominated thing. And we are continuing to be, you know, we have 156 decks, 112 of them are three colors and about a little more than 20 each are two colors and four colors. So it continues to be dominated by three color decks with a couple four colors and most of them being three colors with a very light splash.
2: Well, that reflects my own experiences with the format. Um, I like to experiment with other decks when I can, but um, I know that I can fairly consistently either draft Tradition with Time Justice uh, Primal or Creation with Time Justice Fire and probably do pretty well. Those are sort of the most reliable archetypes to make a strong deck in. And I've been drafting mostly three color decks myself. Haven't had a lot of luck with four factions and there's uh, so much fixing in the format, it's fairly easy to uh, play three colors comfortably. So, yeah.
0: Yeah, and then the other thing I wanted to talk on, which I think we'll talk on a little later when we're talking about Cassandra's draft review is the actual three color faction breakdown. So it was kind of interesting because I think there really was a debate with all of this fixing. Like, what decks, like, what de- would this, could this just become sort of a, a three, four, five color good stuff deck? Or are these supported factions truly supported? And as far as the deck lists that we're receiving, the three top archetypes that we're getting decks with are two of the decks that you just mentioned, the Fire Time Justice and Time Justice Primal, Creation and Tradition, and then right with them is actually Fire Time Shadow with Destruction. And so all of them have um, 20 plus deck lists that we've received, while the next highest one is actually Aurelian, which is an unsupported faction with only 12. And just the color pairing there makes sense to me, which uh, has time in it, which makes it probably a pretty good faction to be in. And then other than that, they're all in low single digits, more or less. The four other non-supported five faction pairings are really not showing up in our deck lists, which is kind of interesting because based on the fixing in this format, I think there's nothing really to imply that they shouldn't be just as prevalent. Because it's, you know, not having access to the perfect tokens is really not that hard, much of a hit on, on your power base.
2: Yeah, that is interesting. Can can you tell me how many of, of the, let's see if you have the statistic in, in, right in front of you, how many of the Aurelian decks have Aramot's machinations in them? <laughs> I, I, do, I cannot. Them. <laughs> because I feel like that's a big reason why Aurelian decks exist. Uh, yes. Yeah, is like the reason why you would put some shadow in your in your uh in your in your time primal deck
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that was something that i thought about too when i heard Aurelian i go i wonder if they're going like xenon splash primal or if they're going like uh, Elysian splash shadow and i'm wondering like how much of it is like diversified in the three factions yeah because what like... i
0: can tell you is of those 12 decks six of them so half the aurelian decks are straight three color and half are two colors in a splash so i don't know which okay. which way it goes
1: yeah gotcha. that, that's that's interesting and it's nice to it it's it's like an interesting thing to think about or consider yeah um another thing is i think the uh this is just like a hunch or an idea a reason why you don't see menace and purpose on purpose is like the Unseen Faction and Menace is kind of like the Dragon Faction, is their, their their support and the cards that go with them don't have a lot of overlap. Because you see Creation Tradition, they have kind of a Relic Matters theme. Both of them care about Relics. Well, one of them cares about weapons and one of them cares about just Relics. They both still have like those Relic cross synergies like Shardbinder and um, Calibrate and cards like that. So you're gonna see because they have similar cards that you look for to support each other. They kind of have like almost like dual support in those factions. Yeah. So it like that's why you. I, that's one of my theories of why you see those two decks more than the other ones.
0: Yeah. The Fire Time Shadow actually kind of surprised me. I really I haven't dug into the deck list yet, but I really wonder how many of those uh, Menace decks are going hard into sacrifice or just, like, a bunch of good cards in those three colors.
1: I would love to hear how many of those Destruction decks have Mysterious Waystone in them. Because that card is unreasonably powerful in the Sacrifice deck. It is so hard to race once it's in play.
0: So uh, that's it for our breakdown this week. Once again, that's, like, made possible by everyone sending in their deck lists. So please do that. We really appreciate it. And we'll move on to our main topic this week, which is we wanted to... Uh, Cassandra, uh a couple weeks ago now, I guess, you wrote a draft primer, and posted it to Reddit, um, <laughs> and a bunch of people, I think, you know, you got a lot of positive feedback on it, so we thought we would have you on to talk about it.
1: Yeah, um, and I think that's that's fantastic, because I think it might be a good way to maybe shed a little bit of light or reasoning behind why it was created and what it was created for. So I think that's a that's a really good place to... I just thought it was a fantastic opportunity to share with everybody.
0: Yeah, so, yeah, why don't you talk a little bit about uh, why you wrote it and sort of who it's targeted for?
1: Yeah, so um, I, I wrote it because so many times when, like, I'm streaming or I'm doing drafts, people really ask me, like, well, well, how do, how do I get it? How, like, how do I draft? I'm so afraid to draft this format. I just want to watch you. I have tons of draft tickets. I, I'm just afraid to touch this format and i'm like well that that's not a good way to think about this let's let's find a way to help people that that are either afraid or really not drafters or have never really touched a draft format before what is a way for me to to consistently and very clearly convey a message of like kind of like a methodology that you can draft and still succeed while you while you learn what cards you may want to pick and not pick so you can then you can maybe like deviate from the original path that was set for you. So it, it's really supposed to be like a, like a, my first draft of it my my first draft primer, like a, a really, really bare bone introduction where, where this draft, this format is so deep and intricate with so many different things you can do. Um, I really want to just like barely, barely touch the surface with like your pinky toe. Okay.
0: So, um, Okay.
2: Well, uh, can I can I ask then? Like, I'm going to skip down uh, a little bit, and in, in, uh, in which questions we were going to ask in which order then? Because yeah. since this yeah, is intended course. as a as a beginning primer, a lot of people I think uh, who are getting into draft don't trust their own card evaluation skills. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and you make it very clear in the primer that you wrote that you don't think of cards on a one to 10 rating scale, and that's not how you approach a draft format. Um, and a lot of beginners, I feel like, um, feel safe with, uh, ratings and a chart that will tell them, like, hey, these are the cards that are powerful, and these are the cards that are not powerful, and so I was wondering what some of your thoughts are about Um, how about like a beginning a beginning drafters relationship to like raw ratings and and why that might not be a good idea for them to yeah of course that way
1: um i am i'm actually like unreasonably passionate about this so this is a great Uh question um so i i don't appreciate number values personally um do i think they're a good tool yes if you use them the right way I don't want you to like pull up this spreadsheet and be like, all right, I'm picking, I'm picking highest number card in every pack, because that doesn't, that doesn't teach you to look at the pack and see the cards in it, see what cards are being passed to you, see what's available. It doesn't let you spot other cards and keep an eye on things because you're looking at a list of numbers and you're just looking for what the card has a higher number. Now, it can be a great tool if you, if you not only use that, but you supplement it by evaluating the cards making your own making your own conclusions after playing with some of these cards maybe maybe it didn't work very well in a certain deck but it worked better in this deck so as long as you don't stick to that number guide and you only use it as a way to like help you understand and learn from your own conclusions and and like preferences then i think it's fine and and i see nothing wrong with it that's my opinion
2: yeah, I agree with that too. I'm I'm really uncomfortable talking about cards in numbers in numbered terms, and I've done a little bit of it. People will ask me on stream sometimes, <laughs> "Hey, how would you rate this card?" And I'm like, "Well, if I you tie me to the ground and punch me, I would give it a six. Uh But in other respects, uh, I would rather.
0: I Which would rather I
2: had to not. Do, do. Yeah, he does. Yeah, he, abso- he absolutely does. It was a tough it was a tough week when we rated all of the cards it was a violent tough week anyway um, the but also I'm, a, I'm very much into empowering people to trust their own instincts on cards uh, which I think people I, is one of the big sources of anxiety for people who are drafting is they don't want to trust their own instincts they want to look mm-hmm. at people who do well and trust their instincts and then never really internalize it yes. And it's one of the and sort of a side effect of that is that you see people um, having discussions about draft where they repeat card evaluations that they've heard elsewhere, applying them to new cards and sort of don't update their opinions about things and their way of looking at things for a new format or new types of cards.
1: Yes. So th- let's let's use a phenomenal example of this one. Um, there's a, there's a curtain, a certain five cost two one flyer with exalted in this format, um, long tail cavalry. That card was extraordinarily powerful in the previous format. Um, I do like people were, if you want to give it a number, they're like, this card's like easy nine. Like it's a very, very good card. um moving on to this format people just carried in that vision of this card is unbelievable this card is so impactful nothing nothing can can touch this card but now you're in the face of a lot of flyers you're in the face of a a a unit that can double silence you're in the face of like majestic skies cards that can just deal with things like that You, you you suddenly see that and you're like wait a minute this card's suddenly like working its way down the rung like it's hanging on for dear life here um but people are still just carrying that view of a previous opinion and they won't apply it to a new format. Um, That's, that's another area where I think about that.
2: Yeah. Yeah. You want people to, to learn to trust their eyes and ears and their experiences and their instincts and, and sort of develop the ability to have those instincts and to know the difference between their feelings about a format and a card and like, the general wisdom that they've absorbed from other people. Uh, and so I like that you took that approach with the primer because you are encouraging people to do that.
1: Yes. I, I don't want to I don't wanna like like just I don't want to sound like child. I don't wanna spoon feed you how to pick. I wanna right. help you learn how to become a better drafter. But I, I also wanna help you like I wanna put you on the road that goes in the right direction and help you learn. I don't wanna like give you a GPS and be like, all right, this is how you get to the end game.
0: Yeah and I, I... I kind of think that what was interesting about the draft primer and sort of framing it in the, you know, what signals for each are there are for each of the factions is it kind of like, I think that's like a, a sort of a first principle lens through looking at this format. I do think like card evaluation and stuff is still like very important because, you know, there are, you know, there are packs, for example, where, if you're in the creation deck, right, and then <laughs> yeah. you have, um, you know, the Shugo Hook versus uh, the Assault Shield, right, you know, y- you know, the Shugo Hook is just like a better card. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a better card in general, but in that deck, you know, it's, it's just a better card. And so you do need to be able to, like, know... In the factions, which cards are stronger or worse. And that's like a little hard to do with just a number system because I do think there are some cards that get better or worse dep- depending on what deck you're currently drafting. Mm-hmm. But I, you know, I do think, and I'm sure you agree, there's like, you, you know, there is some degree of card evaluation that needs to happen, which, you know, you weren't really going into in your draft primer.
1: Uh, yeah. I wanted to start at, I, like, there's so, like I said, drafting is so deep and there's so many decisions. Um, I plan on making more articles like this. Um, I had such a positive feedback from uh, from just an overwhelming amount of people. Um, I want to, like, pick one thing and just, like, really, really, like, just touch the top of it and work my way to another area to kind of, like, help build a foundation to where before, once we have these foundational things, we can dig deeper. Like, we're talking, like, like this is like draft 100 to get you started moving to draft 101, maybe into like this, getting into the 201s or something like that. Like I really want to like create a series of articles that'll help you work your way through. And once we get further, like maybe the next article will do card evaluation. Like why is a two cost two, why is a three cost two, three better than like uh, you know, a three cost three, one, or why, like, you know, what, what are the differences between them and where they play their roles in a deck? Um, like like talk about a curve talk about you know talk about all of those different things talk about uh fixing like how much influence should you have of certain colors like i want to make a giant pile of articles to to eventually create like an army of drafters so my queue (laughs) times are lower um no (laughs) that's the main Um, goal for all of us (laughs) but but really um but like I'm going to shill for a half a second. But now that I get to write Eternal Warcry articles on posted on their site and hosted there, it's going to be a really great place to kind of like introduce so many people to a bunch of articles to help them learn. So I'm really excited.
0: You know, as a content producer, I just... The more content for Eternal, the better. It can only help. Yeah. Um, yeah, so the, the next thing that I wanted to touch on is sort of how you um, framed the article was talking about each of the five factions and you really wanted to discuss them in terms of like signals and so like what were the key signals in each of those factions as sort of a a way to draft this format and Mm -hmm. um what i really one of the things that i really got out of that was just a reminder for that i think especially in this format is you are less looking like this is going to be like a statement. And then I'm going to ask if (laughs) I'll ask if you agree with this statement instead of this being a question. But like, I think you really want to look at this. Look, look at the cards in the packs and you're not really trying to figure out what color or colors are open, but really sort of what style of deck or what synergies are open. And I think that is, that's a a hard thing to change. And I was wondering if, I guess first off, if, if you sort of agree with that assessment of...
1: So I agree to that to an extent. Obviously, like, there's always a time where you're going to fall into a deck that, that isn't quite there because you're pushing, like, a certain extraordinarily powerful card that's not, that might be worth, like, kind of, like, bending outside of the rules. Or not even rules, but bending outside of, like, the what direwolf intended because it really feels like they intended you to draft these three faction supported archetypes Mm -hmm. the way that the curated packs look the way that everything lines up it really looks like they want you to do this so you might be like i'm gonna draft fjs because i have like amazing bomb legendaries and these cards are awesome and i don't care um like there there's always times where that will happen like and you can still have a phenomenal successful deck you could have, like, really good multi-faction bombs, and you're like, you know what? We're going to draft four-color, five-color. You can do that. It's it's not like—this isn't, like, the end-all to everything. Um, I wanted to find a way—because the second you go to, like, four- to five-color decks, there are so many more areas of the draft where it can go wrong, where you cannot have the right fixing. You may not be mis-evaluating what, how much fixing you need, how much you have— You may be, you may see like a really beautiful, fantastic card, but you need to take a stranger instead or a token or a banner. Um, The second you get more colors and more factions like that, it's a much more difficult draft. So Mm -hmm. I wanted to find a really good base area to start and then people can like expand and grow and learn and kind of deviate as they see forward. Mm -hmm. Um, I feel like drafting the way Direwolf intended is a good way to start a, a format. So that's, that's why, do I think that it's the only way to draft? Absolutely not. So this is just a way that, that helps people get into it.
0: Well, I guess what I was referring to specifically was sort of, uh, comparing this to like a two faction format, like, um, especially like say 7.0 where, you know, you would often in a two faction format, you often are like, okay, is time open? I'll draft the time cards is primal open. I'll draft the primal cards. And, um, I'm wondering if you think that is less true. Is like, if you're, are you looking for time to be open or, or fire, um, be open as much?
1: Yeah. So when I, when I'm drafting a lot of the times, if I see like, like an impactful symbol, uh, an impactful card, that's like really good. And that fits only in a certain synergy or archetype, I'll, I'll tend to push towards it. Like, a great example is if I see, like, a Majestic Skies or a Sorcerer's Wand. Uh, th- those are some of the cards from the article. Like, Sorcerer's Wand, yeah, of course, you can splash it in a four-color deck. But if you're, like, halfway through your pack and you see a Sorcerer's Wand, you're, like, there's a really good chance Time Justice Primal mm-hmm. is going to be open going forward in this direction. Mm-hmm. Because if somebody else is Time Justice Primal, they're probably not passing this card. So that that's a really good idea from me. That's also why I carefully selected the cards when I picked the, the images from the article. Obviously, some of them are not perfect. Uh, like, Shardbinder's great in multiple decks. He's good in a lot of things. But, but cards like Sorcerer's Wand are like a, an unmistakably fitting card in the Time Justice Primal deck. So if you see it pass to you, you'll be like, yeah, I want this. Um, cards like Mysterious Waystone if you're not in the destruction sacrifice deck, there's a really good chance you're not gonna pay five deal one damage a turn. So it's a card that you can clearly read as a signal for destruction. And like I said, there are cards that may be better signals, but it may not but it may be a signal for two different decks, which is why I wanted to try and really carefully pick the cards that you can reliably see as reasonable signals towards those archetypes.
2: Uh, speaking of archetypes, um, we've been talking about uh, this for the last couple of weeks. I've started to look at this format in not in terms of uh, drafting a specific deck archetype as often, so much as uh, drafting little pockets of synergy within otherwise mm-hmm. functioning decks. And I wonder what you think about that, because this feels to me like a set Uh, where it's more difficult to draft one cohesive deck that all plays to a specific archetype. Like in the last set, you would get Cambrai decks that tended to look almost identical to each other from draft to draft with a lot of redundancy in the cards. And I feel like even though decks like uh, Creation and Tradition, like we've been talking about, do happen and that there are commonalities, I feel like they look less similar to each other. Um, and I don't know if that's been true for you as well.
1: Um, I do think that that's very that's very true. Um while they may be while they may be different in how they look and what cards you have, I feel like they still fit like a fairly cohesive theme. Like most of the time just as Primal decks are gonna care about relics in a certain way. Um, like like you may have like the skies version, like where you have a lot of flyers like sky worshiper, majestic skies, you got hatchlings. You may have cards like that that care about that care about a certain like kind of like a niche pocket of synergy, which 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 is would you bring up hats. But yeah. um, regardless of that, you're still probably going to be very happy seeing like calibrates and shard binders and the cards that still fit in like the generic TJP deck. Um, you may not have all of those things, but there's still they still kind of fit within a bubble of sub themes that kind of tie together into that like realm. So the
2: spine of the deck tends to be pretty similar, but it has different limbs.
1: Yeah, that so would put say it that that's in a Frankenstein theory. terms. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like like you could go to you could uh, a great example is is Menace. Menace has a lot of little pocket synergies where you have like kind of like the the mill to ten synergies. You have the spell damage synergies, and you have the dragon synergies. You may be playing little pockets of all of those in the deck, but you're still going to have kind of like this this Menace. Like like Razor Pain Hellcat, you're gonna play that in every Menace deck if you have it. Like it's it's still just a really powerful card that you're like more than happy to see. Um right. like like things like that. Um you're you're gonna have like a you might have like a like some of those Sunset Priests, the three three for three that both of us mill three cards to fuel like an immortalized for your dragon or to make it so your spore spitter can come into play as a four four unblockable lifesteal for six. Um like it is kind of like a Frankenstein of deck. But you you're, you are building it with, like, little pockets of themes.
2: I don't know if it's more true than in, this, in this format than it was in the last format. It feels like those little pockets of themes are stronger, maybe, for me. So that I'm a little bit more focused on them mm-hmm. than I was last time. Or maybe it's just that I'm looking at things a little bit differently now than I was. And it's me evolving rather than the draft format itself.
0: I One think, of the things... Oh, so no, yeah, go ahead. One of the things <laughs> I was thinking about today is I wonder if not that the themes are unclear because some of the three faction themes I think are, are very obvious what they want you to do. But the fact that there is no three faction commons, that they're uncommon, I think maybe dilutes like a real driving force behind decks. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Like because you can't rely on getting the three faction uncommon in your three faction deck you know it'll it'll it sort of ends up i think muddling you know the your overall plan it's like in you know in set 5 when you could get three coastal beastmasters or whatever <laughs> you, your deck really had a, a a a cohesive like sense to it while in this you know, you're sort of drafting these three faction colors, and like as the spreadsheet shows, like a lot of people are drafting these specific three factions, but they're not. There's there, there's fewer sort of unifying cards.
1: Mm-hmm. Like like there are cards that that still can be fairly unifying. Like I assure you, like most of the seven win creation decks are probably gonna have a blade master in there somewhere or more like it's yes. it's just such an impactful card that fits very well in that deck and not necessarily fits as well in the other decks. Um mm-hmm. like I think that cards like that are so well designed for a format like this. Like like shard binder even. Like I know it fits in more decks, but it it fits really well in like the TJB and the and the FTJ deck. They they just, it fuels things so well. Otherwise, if you're, like, in the Sacrifice deck, you're like, I don't know if I really want a 2-cost 3-1 with Overwhelm. Like, I think I'd rather just have, like, like a card that generates a unit when it dies, like a Corrupted unit. Like, I might even want, like, the 1-2 the Banner Man with Corrupted over that because I have a Kindling Carver. So, like, a lot of those things, like, that fit really well, kind of like, you're like, I'm making, I'm building this puzzle over here, and this piece is like doesn't belong at all. Throw that back in the tradition pile. So, like that's that's one of the things that I really love about this format is they can have strong cards that are really strong in their specific archetype.
2: i I've been I've been uh, streaming since the beginning of this format. I haven't been streaming long, but uh, this format I was streaming from the beginning. Of it, And a lot of people have been expressing in chat that they have struggled with this format more than any other. Like they're much more uncomfortable than they used to be drafting and they just can't seem to wrap their heads around that. Has that been your experience?
1: Yes, that's what led me to, to try and do these types of things. Um, and I think that this leads into the fact that card evaluation is so wild in this in this format because you have these really these really like niche cards that are so good in some decks but are absolutely like you, they're cards you really don't want to play in the other one like the destruction deck isn't super happy playing a blade crafter you're like this is right. kind of awkward um like because because people say that Bladecrafter is so unbelievably good in the TJ in the FTJ deck the, the creation deck you're like but why can't it be good in every deck that plays fire? Like people, people need to understand that, uh, like card evaluation changes based on the the form of your deck or the the like the the the, the, no, the cards in your pool.
2: Yeah, I think that it, I think that's true for cards that aren't even as obvious as Blade Crafter, because mm-hmm. Blade Crafter very clearly says yes. I play me in a deck with weapons whereas (laughs) a card like humbug nest or dive bomb is more of a generically good card but i have been cutting humbug nests and dive bombs from my decks when it doesn't fit into the overall strategy and that took a little bit of a leap for me like as a you know as a conscientious adult drafter who tries to draft you know just good quality cards Mm -hmm. um the moving to actually cutting my dive bombs, which is objectively a terrific combat trick from <laughs> decks that don't need it. Um, it, it's it contributed a lot to
1: like the success that I've had in the format, um, but it was hard to do. Yep. And, and and like there, there's a lot of cards like that in this format where the just the cards may not be fantastic at face value or they may be fantastic at face value. And you're like. You know this this card actually isn't that great in this deck. Just because it's it's phenomenal in, in deck A doesn't mean it's great in deck B. And and that's that's a the thing that people have a real difficult time with with that that varying card evaluation or varying card quality.
2: I think another really concrete example of that is um, is attachment removal cards in this set. Uh, I think that a lot of the top drafters have come around to like actively hoping to see a disjunction is a two-time uh, fast spell that can either get an attachment out of your own void or destroy an attachment of your opponents that's been a marginally playable card in every other draft format up until now and now mm-hmm. i think a lot of people are looking forward to it and saying i'm going to pick one of these up even if i don't have any relics to recur with it yet because i probably will and there's so many strong uh, attachments uh, for me to kill and this is after the format where we were playing with exalted where you wanted to be able to kill those giant exalted weapons it's even disjunction is an even better card now and i think uh i've seen so many discussions on reddit and in discord and so forth where people are not willing to get to that point there's still no no it's conditional removal and you do not play conditional removal in your draft decks
1: I I love disjunction in my draft yeah. decks. I <laughs> yeah. I like I'm like leaping up and down when I see one. and I'm like yes, all right, we're safe. We got at least one. And if I'm in creation, I'll be like I'm more than happy playing two. Like, yeah. like I think it's just such a good card in this format because the I as your data uh, suggests the two most what like the two highest performing decks are relic matters decks, <laughs> whether they're weapons or just relics. Um, it's just. And and then um, like like you were saying like disjunction is just a card that people are misevaluating. I see people like in my opinion people misevaluate things like book club yeti. Yeah. Um I think I was all about this card when I saw it. I'm like, this card is fantastic. It's a it like it. I was I was overhyping it by saying it was a two cost Eviscerate. but like sometimes it is. <laughs> it is, yeah. Often um, it is. And and like I I felt I need to do like a PSA on it because I'm like, hey guys. You you really need to understand this card's really good.
2: <laughs> we had a big um, argument on Discord yesterday. It was uh, we have someone who's still like digging in their heels and saying no, it's a three one for two, and you do not play it. And it's just like <laughs> you gotta get over it. Oh, I, <laughs> it's I, one of the best comments in the format. You gotta yeah. get on board.
1: And and people people still tell me that they think it's a terrible idea to to pick siege provisions, and I'm like, yeah. I don't know. That's a really good card, and I will happily play one of those in every deck that plays justice. Yeah, yeah, nearly every deck. It's it's not it's not like perfect, but it's very good. Like it has a, an unbelievably good role player.
2: It is. Um, uh, I, I think uh, another discussion that we had going pointed out the fact that it uh, it cancels out stun, yep. and for some reason that was like what broke them on the card it was like oh it also <laughs> cancels stun i'll play it now yeah Did, <laughs> but that's, it didn't take that for me i was like oh wait this is performing really well against me and when i play it so i'm just gonna have to reevaluate it because it didn't look like anything at first but it is very good but for for some people the stun thing is the big thing it kills permafrost do you yeah. remember
1: that wand that's been bothering you? Yeah, slap a seed
2: provisions. You're good. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah.
2: Cancel sorcerer's wand specifically. That's all you need.
0: <laughs> yeah, I yeah I do think people are just having trouble accepting like that do nothing relics in this format are actually like good cards and that that is a supported archetype and an archetype that you can have a lot of success with.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and. And more, I'm not going to say it's always, but more times than not, the games tend to go long in this format. Yes. (laughs) Sure, somebody might play like turn one uh, stranger that gives all your dudes plus one, plus one, plus zero into into stranger, into stranger, into stranger. Oops, I'm dead. Um, Yeah, that's happened. Um, I've been killed by stranger aggro numerous times. But most of the time, games are pretty slow. Strangers kind of clog the ground in the first couple of turns while you would fix your your power and your influence and and cards that give you a consistent way to spend your excess power really shine mm-hmm. in, in formats like this so cards like wand, cards like provisions cards like people absolutely love waystone gate because it lets you have a win condition on top of a fixer on top of a ramp like not ramper but like consistently hitting power and drawing cards like it thin thins your deck so you're not yeah. drawing power later it
2: draw, no. draw like th- deck thinning is sort of a minor thing with most cards but a card that takes three sigils out of your deck pretty good
1: oh yeah like like cards like that i bet you if we looked at that in the format where people were jamming three caught co- two cost three threes like the previous format that ramped them into like all these powerful effects like that Combre aggro like I don't think Waystone Gate would do anything in that in, against those decks. It would just be, it would, be, it would just us. run them over. So like you're like, all right, that's cute. You you are about to make an eight eight. I'm just going to Amory's choice you.
0: Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah. And this kind of touches on. I just wanted this isn't exactly specific to this discussion, but we've been sort of commenting about this in Discord. Is trying to find this like elusive aggro deck that works in this format. And hats you had a really good point about. There's just not only is there not a lot of power buffing tricks in this format. There's there's really not a lot of good weapons, and so you're just so less less punished by playing defensively because mm-hmm. your your opponent just has so many fewer options to like push and damage than they have had in previous formats, and. Yeah, so that really allows these cards like Waystone Gained or Tainted Mark or these like just slower, sort of slower value cards to really have an effect as long as you can set up an initial sort of defense or board clogging because your opponent just doesn't have the options to try to break through that. Yeah, you can set up like a
2: 1 5 flyer on turn four and that can do a really great job of defending you. For the entire game, there's not a good way to break through except for a mm-hmm. tiny handful of cards.
1: I've seen I've seen a few decks that have been unbelievably successful in aggro strategies. Um, the ones that I've seen are like a really powerful stranger deck. Um, if they if they really get it low enough to the ground, um, I've seen uh, like Stone Scar and Argent Unseen yeah that have been doing really crazy things where you play like switchblade Eye into quick draw switchblade dead eye into oh no you now have a five uh, a four four quick draw on turn three attacking me like there are strategies that exist but i feel like they're far few and far between and they're more difficult to draft um than than those good like mid range grindy card 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 uh like card advantage type decks
2: yeah. One more question, um, because this again, because I because I stream and people in chat like watch multiple streams, I think the most common theme uh, that I see uh, out of pr- basically anything uh, in my chat <laughs> is that people will tell me at a point in a draft, oh, Cass would have pivoted there. Uh, <laughs> that is a really common Comment is like no, this is pivot point for CAD, and uh, <laughs> so that's what you're known for as a as a draft streamer uh, in eternal is, is is being willing to pivot, and um, I wonder how that affects. Uh, let me rephrase this: uh, uh, cards that affect influence, such as the two two strangers that give you two different uh, faction influences, banners. Seeds, tokens, that kind of thing. I think there's a lot of people who look at this format as something where you can comfortably play four or five factions. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe fewer than there used to be. Um, and so they pick up those units uh, for that purpose. Uh, is there is there like a conscious decision for you where you pick up influence because it allows you to pivot more easily rather than looking at it as a way to play more factions in your final deck?
1: So um, the amount of times I've played five factions in this format is one. Yeah. Um. The amount of times I played four, f- uh, five faction was one. The amount of times I played four faction is like two or three. Um right. Most of the time when I pivot, um, I usually like I'll keep the cards that my. Let's say I started with a couple of pretty good shadow cards, and suddenly I see like Time Justice Primal is open. I'm like, all right, guys, we're out of here. the The ship has sailed. the The new ship is uh is um is tradition. We're we're done. I I will like I even though those shadow cards are are maybe pretty reasonable. I, I once I see like the signals have been really well supported, like if I pick like a, a wand pick four and then it leans into like a shard binder, sometimes those things like happen like really, really well. And if I see that my pivot point, like my decision is well supported, I just straight up abandon those shadow cards. I, sure. I don't even look at them as in my deck or even capable to play. Um, and it they might be something like really, really good. And if I see some like good fixing, like a like a primal shadow, like a film stranger or a xenon stranger, maybe I'll look at picking them up. But it's it's usually like a I don't actively seek to fit those cards in if they don't fit the overall strategy of what I see as very open.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I I am very unattached to my picks. Um, That's I have good. no yeah. I have no problem completely abandoning a card because the signals don't read that way um that's that's my personal way of drafting um i know it's not the only way to draft i know it's not even the best way to draft um but it's what i what i like doing and often people see some of the craziest things come through because i find a really good lane and i just go hard into it so that's that's something that i've seen I think it's the way that I like to
2: draft, and then I go in and out of it. I will. Uh, I think I've been in more of a forcing mentality lately uh, because I've found that I, you can almost make anything work with the general quality mm-hmm. of the cards in this format. Um, but I, there's no doubt that the that the decks that I've enjoyed the most were the ones where I just entirely abandoned my plan halfway through and then went with something else for a good reason, and then it ended up being a strong deck. It's a lot of fun to draft that way.
1: Yeah, sometimes, sometimes I'll I'll look at a pack and be like, all right, guys, the right pick is this card. But I want this Ruinous Burst because I want to play spell damage. Yeah, um, for sure. But I, I always make sure that I tell them that. And and very rarely do I like really force something. And even if it doesn't work out, I go, all right, I got punished. I picked a Ruinous Burst. All right, it's out of here. Let's go back to the real cards. Um, I don't have a problem even if I wanted to do something if the, if the cards don't flow my way, I don't have a problem. Just, all right, I wanted it. It didn't happen. Direwolf said no. We're moving on.
2: So do you pick up uh, influence fixing uh, in order to make that, uh, in order to make pivoting easier? Are you consciously doing that?
1: Um, usually when I pivot, my pivot usually happens before middle of pack two. So um, you're not
2: really picking up that much fixing but at yeah, that point? Yeah,
1: I don't usually pick up very much fixing at that point. The like the latest I've ever pivoted is like like I said mid pack two.
2: So for for you, it's more pick up the cards that you want to play and then pick up the fixing for them afterwards.
1: Yes, um, the second half of pack two. This is just this format. On um, the second half of pack two into pack three is where I usually go. Oh crap! I have a lot of cards and no fixing. Let's fix. Um, <laughs> that's usually how that goes for me. Um, I am. Like I said, I'm usually a very synergistic drafter and a very um, a very signal based drafter. Um, And when those signals are are strong enough, um, people have been like at the end of the the draft. They're like, how did you just get triple seat pass to you that are in your perfect three faction? I'm like, that's what signals do. Yeah. But yeah. But yeah, Uh, like that's how it usually sometimes things really do flow together like that when you when you draft that way.
2: Um, and I guess just a small question, because this is just my pet concern with this format, is how do you <laughs> rank? I've just had a lot of discussions about this lately with people. Um, we'll probably just have to do an entire episode about it because I, I could talk about it for hours. Uh, how do you rank the the influence strangers, the tutus for two, they give you influence uh, next to other forms of fixing in the format? Because I, I And I should preface this by saying that I value them a lot lower than I think most people do. Um, and I think it gives me an edge that I I, I value them lower. Um, and but I'm not convinced that it's necessarily correct. It just is working for me.
1: So uh, so for me, when I see like, let's say I'm in um, I'm in uh, creation and I see a Combre stranger and a Combray banner in the same pack. I really would look at my unit count. Like, if my unit count's questionable, I'm like, yeah, I'm taking the dude. Because it does the same job as a banner, only it's kind of non-depleted power, to be honest. But if I have a really good unit count in the two-slot, one-slot range, like, all right, let's take the banner because I already have so many playable units. This is a free, free fixing included into my deck. Um, without having to, like, try and make cuts in my unit slots. So, for me, it really is varying. My my value of strangers and banners and other fixing go changes based on what the other cards in my deck looks like. So, I know it's not a really good answer, but that's, that's, no, that's really how answer. I evaluate them. Yeah, that's totally fair.
0: Yes, yeah, so the final thing that I wanted to bring up, and this is sort of riffing off of some of the comments uh, in the Reddit thread about your post is specifically Northern Polarity sort of brought up uh, the fact that they felt that not all the archetypes were as supported as the other ones and they made a callback to last format with like the muster um, deck in Elysian where there were a few muster cards, there were a few spellcraft weapons but it, and I kind of agree with them it was kind of a hard deck to consistently get into or at least to consistently get a very successful deck and they were sort of implying that this format had a bunch of those and that you really should be drafting this more as you know a three four five faction good stuff deck and i guess i was just wondering especially because this primer is focused on newer players do you think there are some of the archetypes, these five or these five or the these three faction archetypes that you should be maybe avoiding is too strong of a word, but be wary of because it's harder to get into a good deck in those colors?
1: So this comes back to uh, Hats talking about kind of like the pocket synergies. Um, just because like, let's talk about some of the ones that are not like, I can't build like a coherent weapon deck. Like, a weapon deck is so easy to build. You're going to play cards that find weapons, cards that, like, cards that, like, just, like, reasonable units that maybe, like, have Warcry, cards that might give armor, cards that might grab weapons back. Um, that deck's pretty easy to build, like, almost a fully cohesive deck around that synergy and that win condition and that plan. Um, whereas, let's, let's say if you go into the Menace deck, which is the Fire Primal Shadow, um, there are a lot of, like, small mini archetypes in there. And we talked about this a little earlier. I might have a little bit of spell damage to go with my dragons to go with my mill. Um, you may have, like, a pocket of spell damage with your pocket of dragons, and the two of them come together to make a pretty reasonable deck. Um, obviously, there's always the potential of drawing, like, you know, one half of your deck and not the other half. But the cards on their own are not are not, like, abysmally terrible. They're, they're certainly capable of, of doing their own thing. Like the, uh, I always forget its name, the 1-4 dragon that gives spell damage with mastery spell damage.
0: The helix, the double helix dragon? Yes, double, double, double helix, helix, helix
1: drake. drake. Yeah, double helix drake. So that card, you may not love seeing that card without spell damage cards, but it's still a 1-4 for 5. And this format doesn't hate cards like that. Um, It does a pretty decent job, kind of like, kind of gumming the area around while you work towards uh your your finishing goal of finding those spells to kind of like do extra work with them there are synergies that may not have a full deck there but they certainly have a place inside of the archetype kind of like you might have bits and pieces of those decks like those those like kind of like those sub themes Mm -hmm. to create a full deck yeah um that doesn't necessarily make them the worst deck there they, they, they just you need to you need to understand that you can't do. I'm going to go mono spell damage and have a perfectly coherent deck.
0: So you, you wouldn't say there's any of these uh, five three faction decks that you're scared to draft or that people should avoid?
1: Absolutely not. I've had success with every single one of them.
0: All right, so that, that's our show here. I want to thank Cass for coming on. That was really great, and uh, thank you as always, Hats for co-hosting the show with me and <laughs> you're welcome yeah. And thank you for creating and hosting the show with yeah, me you know, I'm, I'm in a very thankful mood today uh, <laughs> and thanks to all our patrons for making the show a success and for those of you who are not patrons a reminder to give us a five-star rating on itunes stitcher or google play join us in our discord we've been having a lot of good discussions about the format and a lot of people sending in links and one of my favorite parts about the discord is actually just getting familiar with people so that when you play them in game you almost feel like you have a bit more of a connection because the names are familiar and they're people you've talked to and so like as that has grown it's you know drafting has almost become a lot more fun because you know you can sort of say hello in game or in discord and say gg and talk about how the game went so Um, If that sounds interesting to you and you're not in the Discord, please come in. If you are in the Discord and you're not talking a lot, shame on you. Talk more.
2: Uh, (laughs) It's fine. It's fine to lurk. (laughs) Okay, it's fine to lurk. I take that (laughs) But you're welcome to join our conversations
0: anytime. (laughs) We can can always use more conversation. And then, finally, thumbs up all of Raven Dragon's Reddit posts about the show. I think that really helps... um, improve our visibility and don't forget to send in all your seven wind deck lists you do this week to farming and and remember to keep on farming. Have a good night.
2: Have a good night. Bye. Bye.